Hello there, this is Melanie Hoskin. We're here with Purple Psychology Podcast and we're talking to Nisha O'Reilly. This is episode 48. Hi, Nisha. Hello. Today we're talking about, what are we talking about today? We're talking about identity and labels and families and how that affects families. Right, labels. How do labels affect families? Well, this is a really interesting one. I suppose this kind of rolls on from the last one. Um, Because we constantly sort of micromanage people and measure them against everything, Mm. then when they can't do things, we have to find a reason for it. Mm. And some personalities I find really like to have a reason and have a name, and some people react very negatively to think there's something really wrong with them and they hate being different and they care endlessly about what everyone thinks so it's quite a negative thing to be told that you're dyslexic whereas for some people they will embrace it mm. for me personally um, it's a very simple way of justifying things and answering people's unanswered questions so if I say you I'm dyslexic it means no one expects me to be able to read out loud if I do make mistakes reading if I go to a new restaurant with you with my friends it's okay for me to turn around and ask someone to read the menu to me mm. if I send you an email with spelling mistakes in it or a text message and um, one of my friends recently said who lost her phone said that she knew it was my text because of the style of text so seeing me I have a style in writing and you know, but it does, it explains all those things away for people very very instantly and very easily and I don't have to go into it. But what happens quite a lot now in schools is the reason that we give people labels and the reason that they do so many assessments is that it, it's a reason for taking boxes to get certain resource hours. And so when, I, when parents come to me, I don't give the label. I sometimes allude to it in the reports, and we're going to talk about my reports in a bit, mm-hmm. so I won't go into that. But... I, I won't talk about something unless I think it's a good thing to do, but it's, I have no motivation in, in wanting to give a label because I'm going to do the work and I'm going to do this, the exercises with them and the tasks and work on the core skills. So it's really irrelevant for me. Hmm. Unless they want it, some people do want that label. Unless some people, yeah. like I, I worked with somebody recently and I ended up telling the family that I thought it would be a really good idea to give the child the label because but in the sense of telling them the famous people that have that diagnosis mm. and holding up you know, idols to them for them to aspire to because mm. I sort of saw that they were at the point of giving up, that they didn't have a reason as to why they worked three times harder than anybody else and why everything was difficult. Mm-hmm. And some people react very badly to that. I remember working with one student a good while ago um, who had a dyscalculia, and I remember telling him that Thomas Edison had dyscalculia, and I remember writing that in the report. And that was the, that was the light bulb moment mm. for that child, because it was like, okay, great, um, I have this, it affects my maths, I find maths really difficult, this is why I find difficult, and we're going to fix it. And this really famous scientist had it. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I can do really well with it. So it gives them something to identify with, and also gives them, um, I, I suppose, a path Yes. In terms of understanding. And it gives yeah. them a level of to aim for. Yeah. Yeah. And and two. Yeah. So it's not just a negative thing. So that label then will be helpful to, to a student. Yeah, it's it's helpful in some cases but not in others. And that's and I really judge it by a case by case basis. Yeah, well I suppose for labels and lots of people say that they just do not like labels. They're so anti label. Um because they they feel that the label doesn't describe them. Uh, they, they, uh, they feel that they've got the, they feel misunderstood yes and labeled label equals I've been misunderstood well usually for me label means lack of expectation hmm. okay yeah which yeah. is which is much more destructive okay so that they're um, I suppose establishing in their minds that 
they don't expect any more from me. Yes. They don't expect anything from me. They think that... Yeah. So, so that's why if yeah. I do give the label, I give the achieving uh, side of it as well. Okay. Reports. When, when, when reports are being written um, for students. I actually remember my own reports from school, which were extremely, extremely bad. <laughs> um, and, and I felt a, a lot of the time didn't really... Um, well, it, it didn't really give a true picture. <laughs> well, I, if I had read one more time, spelling and writing very poor, like, you don't say. Um, I mean, <laughs> it was really that moment. Like, um, Yes, my, my reports tend to be, uh, they're quite extensive. Um, there's sometimes people bring young children to me and they're kind of like, they're only 10 and I'm telling them mm-hmm. what career they could have. Um, so there's a real sense for me of having a crystal ball. I'm a bit like a stargazer. You know, I can see where people will head and what will be good mm. for them. Mm. So I'm really laying out the roadmap. Mm. There's a big sense of explaining why things are difficult, explaining what we're going to do, explaining um, what we're going to do in a certain time, in a certain plan, in a certain time frame. And there's particular tips and strategies very specific to them to help mm. the things that are they're really struggling with. Mm-hmm. And there's a sense of um, looking at what they really need as a personality from their family and from the home environment mm. and, and there's a sense of the things that go on in your head that you really need to get rid of you know that are holding you back too mm. so they're very extensive they, I, they're a torturous thing for me to do they're the hardest part of my job um, I spend two days thinking before I ever write um, it's very difficult for me to do it um, I spend a lot of time endlessly proofreading and there's always mistakes and despite grammar and everything else. And it's quite funny, when you look at my grammarly stats, I will quite often have um, the amount of words and the vocabulary that I write will be up in the 90s, like 96, 97%, mm. and my accuracy will be sometimes as low as 10. And it's really funny because I'm more <laughs> dyslexic some weeks later, so it will range between mm. being 10, 20 to 60. And I go, oh, well, I had a really good week there. You know, um, so it's really, and with that level of frustration, yeah. it's that mm. gap. Like mm. we talk about frustration in students and gap, and I can see it in my reports, mm-hmm. but I write them for the students to read. It gives them decompression time after they've met me. It gives them time to read something, to take it in. It's there to always go back to for everybody, you know, the the plan that's going Mm. to happen over the next few weeks. And um, they're a really good base, and I know I have to do them. I know Mm. they have a really important purpose, but they're not like other... They're not like the three psychological assessments I had, and they're not negative, and there isn't all about what I can't do. They're endlessly positive, and they're not written for my parents. Yeah, what what effect does that have on, on somebody... You know the, these psychological assessments. Um, if they're negative, it's huge. Like uh, mine were very traumatic experiences. Mm. I didn't know why my first one was so traumatic when I was uh, four, and I was only talking about it recently because I really it's the benchmark for everything I do, especially in the little people that mm. I work with. And mm-hmm. um, because when they do the session with me, I want them to be able to do everything, and mm. I don't want them to be able to know what they can't do. Mm. I completely hide everything. Yeah. And I make I set everything up so that they manage to be able to do it mm. by the end of it, mm-hmm. and usually able to read a book for me or you know. Um, when I did mine at four, I didn't realize I was separated from my parents. Uh, that was the first part that would be very traumatic for me. They were put into a separate room, um, which seems a bit harsh. Yeah. Um, I I remember that I couldn't do anything. Um, I remember just feeling really stupid. I was in the session of what was really difficult over and over. And so there's a big sense when you've done them and of what you can't do and you're measured against some scale of mm-hmm. you should be able to do this. And the most annoying part for me in psychological assessments, I have a quote on this on my website, 
is that I first had to prove, I had to do an IQ test to prove that I wasn't too stupid not to be able to read. I had to justify mm. that actually I was clever enough, that there has to be mm. a gap between my intelligence level and my literacy level. Mm. And that's why I talk about taking intelligent yes. literacy out of the same sentence. Because mm. um, I think that's horrendous yeah. benchmark to start yeah. from. Are you sorry, are you sure you're not just too thick? Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, that, that's... That's, oh, that's very profound. Yes, yes it is. Very profound. Yes, it is. And, and, that, and that all my experiences do base how I work. Mm. They, they really do, and I don't lie about that. Mm. Um, Which is probably a good thing, because it, it seems to repeat itself with, with other people, you know. That, that endlessly, and I, and I mm. thought it would have changed by now. Yeah, yeah. You talk about that a lot, you know, feeling that things should, should have progressed or changed. I mean, when you look at... Um, you know, um, psychology and how this is being applied to rearing kids and teaching children and uh, you think that, uh, you know, a lot of the systems would have changed because of that and they don't seem to have. Um, you write reports for your students though, n- not for the parents, is that right? Yeah, yeah I, I, every word is written for a student, every, every word is picked out and complete transparency and um, it, it has to and I really hate when people sit there and talk about the person so I never do that mm. and it doesn't happen so can you be very specific then when you're writing a report that's between you and the student you're able to say like you, you, you've, you've really improved here and here and here we need to work here and here it, it's, it's like a project yeah, it's rather a, than a, an assessment or a judgement no it's, it's a roadmap. Mm. this is how we're going to make it better Mm. Uh, and this is the reason why this is hard. And I change the language that I write reports for seven-year-olds so that when mm. their parents read them out to them, that they can relate to them. Mm. So um, so the report I write for a seven-year-old, the language is very different to a report that I write for a 17-year-old. How do parents take that? Um, I tell them up front, um, for before I've ever met the student, that that's what I do. Mm. How so, do you feel about it? Uh, they're always very positive. I explained that I've, you know, you're not going to spend time setting up trust and building a relationship to work with somebody, and it has to be their roadmap, and it's, it's their life, and they have to own it, um, and there's no point creating all that and then turning around and writing about them behind their back. And how does the child feel about it? How does it impact the children? Um, I always, uh, I always shake hands with people, even when I meet people who were four, which people find a bit odd. Um, so there's a real sense of people being an individual, and I suppose it's just a continuity from the first time, the fact, first moment they've met mm-hmm. me to how it's going to pan out. Do you find that um, there's a lot of blame in in within families, within or within the system, or within? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's one of the the sort of elements to the services that I offer is that. I never, I never blame anybody, and I never really focus on the problem. I always focus on the reasons and the ways to make it better, and the way mm. to explain. Maybe there can be very different personalities sometimes in households, and, and parents really don't get inside the head of the mm. child and what's mm. going on. But for a lot of stories that I hear back from parents, there's a real sense that a lot of other experiences that they've had have been started off with, "Oh, this is bad parenting. This is your fault," and there's a real sense of judgment. Um, and there's a real sense sometimes of the lack of implications and understanding. There's no sense of just how difficult it is to live in my house. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And 
that's very it's very it's very hard like you know when families can't sit down and have a meal together um, and one parent is up trying to get a child to go to bed and it was huge implications on people's families and a lot of people now both parents work as well and their lives are pretty hectic mm. um, and even so more so like our lives are not as hectic as America you know in, in terms of of a household mm. and um, so people just don't don't have enough time um, and that's why also when I said exercises for people to do, it's only 10 minutes a day because I'm very conscious of the time factor. Mm. Everybody is in a good mindset for 10 minutes, you know, and that can be created easily. Mm. So mm. I don't set ridiculous demands on families where mm. sometimes mm. I think the demands that are set are just too much. It's yeah. not realistic yeah. for you to make dinner, look after three other children, uh, drive from here, uh, work all day and, mm. and have a life and sit down and spend an mm. hour doing schoolwork, mm. you know, so your demands have to be realistic. Can parents limit a child's potential in terms of creating mindset or belief systems within the child? Yes, a big part of what I do is to do with mindset, and an awful mm. lot of people who contact me, parents always know the potential of their child, mm. I don't care what anybody says. And a lot of them, you know, really sort of say, oh, nobody's seen their potential or no one's got them or no one can see how clever they are. And I know they're really bright, you know, and you hear all these things on the phone and, and that's endlessly positive. Hmm. And I never think that you can think too much can be achieved. Right? Yeah. And in, in the past, I have got into trouble with some parents for thinking that so much can happen. Yeah. You know, so that that's. I, I never agree, right? Mm. If, if you, no matter if you if you want someone to achieve, <clears throat> you set the bar up here, and everybody yeah. goes up to the pedestal yeah. of where you yeah. want them to yeah. be, no matter what age they are or where they're at. Mm. Um, what's a really interesting one that I suppose has happened um, is that I've learned listening to those initial phone calls when someone is not in the right mindset, and. I've realized that with some families subconsciously they've got into this zone that what they invest energy in is what they manifest and what mm. they get, right? Mm -hmm. And no matter how much I do, they don't expect it to change. So no matter how you can give someone endless coping strategies to deal with anxiety in a public mm. space. And if the family expect that to change and expect it to work and they're some somebody actually a parent wrote a testimonial for me and they said you know if you can let go and expect the magic to happen it will mm. and with some families now i know that they're so wrapped up in the identity of the child because it's been going on for so long and there's so much invested in it mm. and so much energy and they've done so much research and so much reading and there's so much in this space and they've had so many battles that they have taken on that identity like a badge of honour. <clears throat> mm. And if I make things different, they've lost their identity too. Mm. And suddenly everything's going to change. And they don't even realise themselves that they're doing that. Mm. And so now I've learned to see those signs and to tell people to go away and think about things or to go away and, and look at more material on me or whatever it is. Fulfilling prophecies, would you find that that... <laughs> That comes into play, or would you find that when you get to families, there there is that element there? Yes, but but most people, you know, you 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 work with them, and you're always working with the personality of the parent as well as the child, and there, there's always an element of me really looking for that now, and I've really understood the patterns and what can happen. But you know, as somebody put it to me, who um, who tells a lot of people about me, you have to tell them at the right time. 
Mm. They have to be ready to hear it. Mm. And sometimes I have phone conversations with people who are not ready to hear it. Okay. And, and I've got to learn that because I have this odd thing that if <coughs> I take someone on, mm. I have to be able to get a result. Okay. And it's very, it's very rare for me to meet someone and then go, I'm not going to get a result. And that happened three times in six years. Okay. But it's not happened at all now for the last two. Okay. Because I can see it. Yeah. All right. You want to leave it there? Yeah, for great. This, for, for this one, <clears throat> uh, this Purple Psychology podcast, you were here with Melanie Hoskin and, of course, Nisha O'Reilly. Thanks a million, Nisha. Thank you.